Welcome to the Special Ed Files. I'm Jennifer Laviano, a special education attorney. And I'm Julie Swanson, a special education advocate. Case by case, we expose what really goes on in special education. Each episode, we open up a case based on real life experiences. We reveal where things went wrong and explain the legal implication. Finally, we solve the problem so you don't have to. Let's open up a file. All names in this podcast have been changed to protect the individual's identities. We're here at the Quinnipiac Podcast Studios in Hamden, Connecticut. We're in studio with Dave DeRoche, our wonderful uh, producer. Welcome to our second season. This is our Insider Series. We're here with Babs Distinti. And Babs is the parent of a, a student on the autism spectrum. And we're going to open up the file on Babs and the bureaucracy battle. That's a tongue twister. Babs, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. So Babs, we're going to hear your story today, and let's open up on the facts in the file. What, what's your story? Okay, uh, so my son uh, diagnosed very young. We did the birth of three, preschool, all the rest of it, and had a lot of behavior trouble in public school, just a really hard time. So ended up getting outplaced, and then, but it was a unilateral outplacement. And so, which means that you, yes, removed him from the public school on yes, your own. That's right. And at your own expense, yes, put him in a private school. Yes. And so we were, you know, because before that we were really having a hard time. We did every test, evaluation, support we could think of within the public school setting, and it just wasn't working. And so we did the unilateral placement. We did a mediation. He had a couple of years at the new place, and it was night and day. He was really successful, doing very well. We were thrilled. We were, you know, honestly, I was terrified before we did the placement because I, the only thing I knew for sure is that the public setting wasn't working for him. That's the only thing. I had no idea even if the new school was going to work, but I just knew I had to get him out. So we went to the new school, again, night and day wonderful experience and then as part of this you know we have to we still have triennial evaluations so just um, to make sure our listeners are clear triennial evaluations means that at least every three years under federal law a student who has special education services is required to be evaluated in all suspected areas of disability so he was due for that every three year so bad yes you have quite the story to tell tell us all about it Okay, I will say my son was diagnosed very early, so we did birth to three for a while, and we did uh, preschool with our district, and, you know, we started kindergarten, first grade, early elementary school, and it just wasn't working well. He really was having a hard time, had a lot of behaviors. We had a lot of experts involved. We had lots and lots of BCBAs coming in. Board certified behavior analysts. Yes. And they did, would do a functional behavioral assessment. They would do a behavior intervention plan. So we had lots of plans, lots of experts, lots of people coming in to see what was going on. And at the end of the day, he just was not being successful. And we worked really hard to have it happen and it didn't work. So we ended up putting him into a private school and putting him into that 
placement just to see, because the only thing I knew for sure is public school didn't work. So I found a private school and we thought, well, let's just take a chance. And it turned out to be the best thing for him. It really was excellent. And the school was still involved with his program. So the time came up after a few years of being in the private school that they needed to do an evaluation. So they did their triennial every three years evaluation and we had a meeting with the school district and we all agreed that it was night and day. This is this child who was having behaviors and all kinds of things were happening before was not that kid. So of course as a parent, I'm thrilled and common sense is telling me, well, this is what we want to continue. Yeah. So I want a successful, happy kid who's doing well. And at the meeting, um, <clears throat> the experts agreed that he was doing much better, of course. The evaluations all said, oh, this is terrific, wonderful. But the administration said, well, this particular school is not on our list of approved placements, so we cannot approve this placement. So we are suggesting an alternative placement, which was much, much more restrictive than where he was currently and where he was being very very successful. So the, the place that the, the new school that he was at was had typically developing peers, yes. right? And the, the school that the school district wanted to send him to was a, stu a school with students who had disabilities exclusively. All, yeah, they all had IEPs and right. none of them, yeah. Right. And, so, and so for my son who is on the spectrum and social is so important for him and to have modeled social behavior by peers right. is almost the most important reason for him to go to school. Right. He could learn anything on the computer, in a book, you know, he can learn academics easy peasy. But it's the social part that he needs to know, you know, you say this, you don't say that. And if he doesn't, doesn't have models, then he doesn't learn it. So uh, I, I know from you telling me the story before that when he was at the public school in the very beginning, he was actually being restrained at times, yes, right? Yes, yes. Which is, you know, that's about as restrictive as you can get, right? Yes. And so at this school that they wanted to place him at after the triennial, it's also a school who has a lot of students who would probably have some behaviors. Oh, yes. So, you know, why go back to, yes. know, boy, this is working so well. What the heck? Now we're going to go back exactly. to, to, a, to something that's more restrictive um, and, and restrictive meaning, you know, the goal is that you want to, to the maximum extent possible, keep a student in general education with typically developing peers. Um, to the maximum extent possible. So what, what's the rationale to go back? I, I don't know. And I will say, you know, during this process, I, you know, I also consulted experts. I talked to people who had worked with him and said, you know, hey, considering his profile, what do you think? And I remember one, you know, behavioral expert, really big deal in the state. And she said to me, honestly, it's the only reason he needs to go to school is to be with typical peers, is to learn from them, learn, you know, what a fifth grader talks like and acts like and behaves like so it's so I was confused and I didn't know why I didn't know why this list seemed more important than the, the list the list and this the is list. where bureaucracy comes in right is right that was the <laughs> rationale that was given to you as to why the the district couldn't support the school where he was flourishing yes is because it wasn't on the list yes Did, had you seen the school they were proposing prior to the meeting or since the meeting? Since the meeting. Okay, so they yeah. recommended the school. and I you heard of the school. Yeah. Yes. And did you go look at it? 
Yes. Okay. And did you have any impressions after you saw it in terms of whether it was a good fit for him? It was exactly what I suspected, which is it was highly restrictive. And it would have, I in his case, would have set him back really far. And so they weren't proposing the public school for him? No. Okay. So, um, so in the meeting, did, you were saying how everyone was talking about how well he was doing. Did that include the school district people? That included everybody except the head of the meeting. Yeah, the, yeah, and the, the, the administrator. Yeah. Okay. And, and, I mean, from what I understand, they were unbelievably colorful about it. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, well, he's doing all right, you know. Like, <laughs> No, it, was, it really was night and day, and I believe that was an exact quote. Someone said, wow, he is... It, what, what so it's working so well, let's just not keep him here, is basically what it came down to. Because that would make too much sense because of the list. Exactly. It's Again, it's the common sense part. And I will say, friends of mine who are not involved in special education did not understand when I would explain to them, well, he may not be able to stay. And, you know, they're like, what do you mean? I was like, well, there's a list and, you know. There's a list and there's a law, which gets us to the law, Jen. Let's talk about it. Okay, so let's start with what the list is, okay, so that people have an understanding as to why um, uh, Babs was stuck in some red tape of bureaucracy here. Um, So many states, including Connecticut, uh, maintain a list of approved special education schools by that state's Department of Education. It is not required by federal law. But many states do that, where they certify the school as being approved to provide special education and related services. And that comes with oversight of the state, um, having certain professionals that have to be part of the the team, certain certifications are required, things of that nature, okay? And so the list is the list of approved schools. Uh, In many states, including Connecticut, every single school that's on that list is a school that is entirely comprised of students who have IEPs. Um, So it is, you know, it is a self-contained program, meaning none of the students are students with, um, who don't have IEPs or who do not have disabilities, okay? Uh, that's what the list is. Here, here's, if I could yeah, ask, can yeah, I sure. just add, add something here? Isn't the, 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 the list of approved schools also under a funding mechanism that yes. makes it more attractive for the school district to place a child there? Can you talk about that? Jen? Yes, I can. So in Connecticut, um, the way it works, and this is not dissimilar to some other states, although there are some states that don't even have a list. They just don't. But um, the way it works in Connecticut is if a school is approved, if a private special education school is approved by the state, um, then the school district can apply to the state for something called excess cost funding. What that means is that they take the average cost of educating a child in the district, they multiply it by a formula that is set, and if, if the amount of the tuition plus related services like transportation and other things exceeds that threshold, they can apply to the state to offset some of the costs of the program. And you can understand why, you know, that you might have a program for a student that's extraordinarily expensive and can throw off the budget for the district. And so they want to be able to go to the state and say, can you help us with this one student that their program is really costly? For a lot of the schools that we're talking about, when you do the math, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, And so sometimes it's really frustrating because we know that it actually might be cheaper 
to send the student to the school that's not a special ed school. Which is, I believe, what your case was. Yeah. Us, and right? so it's cheaper, which yes. is, you know, I hate to say it, but one of the things that Julie and I have to remind people about is that some of these decisions are driven by by budgets and fiscal considerations, even though we, we don't want that to be the case. And the law certainly does not uh, accept that as, as an excuse. Um, that's the reality, right? I mean, we all know that. So, but in many cases, it's not, the, the, pri the private program is actually cheaper. So then when I push to the school districts and say, well, but this program's cheaper and it's working, I don't understand. And the student has an opportunity to be with non-disabled peers in this particular case, as Babs indicated. Um, the response I, I get is we won't be able to control the quality of the program because we don't know that they're certified staff, we don't know that they're this, we can't control it because it's not approved, it's not accountable to us, and, and you know, it's not, that's the answer. Um, it's ridiculous, and it is, um, in my opinion, not what the either the federal or state laws would require in terms of individualized programming. So when we talk about, you alluded to it earlier, Julie, there is a cornerstone of the IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, called the Least Restrictive edu Educational Environment, LRE. Um, and what that says is that to the maximum extent appropriate, students with disabilities should be educated um, with their non-disabled peers. And in this particular case, what was being proposed um, for Babs' son was a program that was self-contained, meaning no opportunities for interaction with non-disabled peers, which is much more restrictive than a program that has non-disabled peers and, and also further to the, his legal entitlement, um, the the IEP, the I in IEP, is individualized. And uh, for based on his disability, what he needed was that opportunity for interaction with um, social skills and other and and with non-disabled peers who could whom he could model. So it also, uh, you know, flies in the face of that entitlement under the IDEA. So the law is also implicated in an important way that that is interesting um, because we have, and we've talked about it before, Julie, a, a 2017 Supreme Court decision in a case called Andrew F., Andrew with an E, F, um, where the court said that school districts are required to provide a cogent response to their decision making in IEP teams, individualized education program team meetings. And it's not on the list, doesn't sound terribly cogent to me. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's not on the list. The list. The list. Oh my goodness. So what happened, Babs? Well, I will have to say we got creative in how he was able to stay okay. where he was successful. And okay. and part of that, in, in looking at him now and how successful he was in the right school, you know, that that's part of what made me decide I want to become a special education advocate because to see something so, frankly, silly as the list is going to affect your life so hugely, you know, in such a massive way. And I was like, this is... I have to help. I can't let this just go. Right. And so we did get creative. We, you know, it was not always a free and appropriate education, <laughs> but it was an appropriate education. Not free to you. <laughs> not free to you. Right. Right. But, you know, at the end of the day, I well, was like, you made, what can I Well, you made I that have, sacrifice. And, you know, my mother uh, used to say, and it's one of my favorite sayings, is that most decisions make themselves. And that was a decision that you didn't even have to think about. Why would you take him from a place that was working and put him in a school with all disabled students and have him go backwards? It, it, it just it defies logic. It was terrifying when he was doing so poorly, and I was getting the reports every day. 
and the restraints were happening and it was all that was terrifying and I know he was unhappy of course because he was acting out you know the only way he knew how so to see your child be successful and you know it's everything you hope for so no you can't go back and you do what you can so but I do feel you know there are especially circumstances like this and and I will say at this you know at this school and other schools I've seen, I've seen children that are sort of that 2E kind of, you know, they may be quite, yeah, quite, they're quite bright, but they have these splinter skills and they need, they really need to be around as many typical peers as possible because you just don't learn it from a social group run by, you know, a speech pathologist who meets once, you know, every 30 minutes with other kids on ice. And your son is thriving now and looking into colleges. And he, and he was a young guy when this all happened. So what, is, what does he know about what happened and what does he think about it now? Well, he's part of his thing is he, you know, when, when you're little and I think for everybody, he's not, not terribly aware, you know, of your, your behavior is bad, but you just know that you didn't get along with the class, whatever. But now he's like, excruciatingly aware of how he was in his past and and you know he knows a little bit about what happened and what could have happened and he's just honestly like why would they do that to me why you know I it's hard it was hard for me to to, why would they and so he's he's a little pissed off I'll be honest he's more than a little pissed off sometimes about it and I think he's sort of a well I will show them you know kind of thing and I was like it's fine and again as a parent all you want is for them to be successful and happy and you know that's what you want every single day and the institution of public education isn't always set up that way you know and to to make such a giant change in his life to send him to this other place where they they had suggested it and it it just would have changed everything well it would have changed his outcome as as a human and and, you know one of the purposes of of the services that are required by law is to get students to a place hopefully not all students get there but hopefully get a student to a place where they require a lot less support and that's what happened with him right that's exactly and i was just basically didn't need services after several years right no exactly and it's the ultimate fabulous outcome and that's what i said listen i'm spending money on like sat tutoring but i'd much rather do that than a bcba you know no offense to (laughs) you know right sure behavior therapist five behavior analyst yeah absolutely (laughs) it's like i you know sat tutoring is not cheap either but it's you know way better but it's a success story but you had to fight like heck you know which is how you became an advocate which exactly and and that's the thing that i'm like i do see the difference but and and but my heart aches when i think about people who just would have said okay you know if i had just if i didn't know what my options were and and i said okay fine he'll go then that makes me that keeps me up right so let's do the rewind because what is the rewind on this jen so the rewind um is is the portion of our episode where we talk about um what could have been done differently here and certainly what could have been done differently here it's pretty straightforward is that the school district could have recognized that they have every authority and right to continue the placement at the school where he was successful rather than recommending a program simply because it's on the list. And they could have done that. They absolutely could have done that. Um, There's nothing that restricts them either in the law or logic from doing it. 
Um, but unfortunately, and, and it's one of those things that people don't really think about, is schools are, they are bureaucracies. They are local bureaucracies run by a state bureaucracy, governed by a federal bureaucracy. It, it's a lot of inefficiency, unfortunately, and a lot of knee-jerk reaction to, to rules. This is how we do it because this is the way we always do it. And that flies in the face of the individualization that Babs' son is entitled to. All right, so what's the verdict? Bad. I think I think I know what the verdict is and then she she, Go ahead, she can jump yours in. First. I know that the verdict here is that parents should always trust their instincts. Absolutely. You have to listen to your gut. You have to if it feels if it just feels wrong to you, you have to ask other people and ask for help and do what you can because it Again, to me, it's common sense. I was getting to the point that I'm like, I don't care if he's a, with a shaman in the woods learning <laughs> something. Like, I just, <laughs> I just want a happy kid who's learning. And, like, I need a setting that works. And once you found one, then keep it. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes the rub in that, right, is that not all parents can afford to fight the system, quote, unquote, if you will, like you did, where you... You had the means to be able to work with advocates and attorneys. You had the means to send him, you know, to this school. Um, and, and that's really the rub here, right? But regardless, we have to trust our instincts, you know, and I just think that's such a great verdict on this. So Babs, we are asking all of our guests in this um, Insider Series, what is the one thing that you would change about special education? I would get rid of the list. You would get rid of the list. <laughs> oh, my God. I think, I think it's individualized, and I think in some cases with the private placement, if that's where it needs to be, you just need why, you know, we, we, it's so funny because, you know, especially with kids with autism, we're, we're so quickly say they're so rigid. They're so rigid. These kids are so rigid. But then I look at the school district, and I'm like, they're so rigid. <laughs> <laughs> Right, right, right. So in some cases, individualized means something different. It doesn't necessarily mean shaman in the woods, <laughs> but, you know, a school that's an accredited school could right. possibly be the right solution. You know, and what kid. I also want to know, it's just a great takeaway. I also want to know, you know, Jen, when you were saying they can't control the IEP, what exactly would that have even looked like? I, I don't, you know, I don't know. And I, and I really, you know, what's frustrating about that kind of a response is, did you ask the private school if maybe if they agreed to make this the placement, if they would work with them sure. so that they could control, control and quote unquote control it yeah. or monitor it? I, I, I respect yeah, sure. that the school district has an obligation and feels that they take it strongly, that they are assured that a student who it requires services is making progress and, you know, is getting services and supports to address their disabilities 100 percent, especially if they're going to, to fund it. But um this was a situation where everyone in the district agreed, save the administrator, that the data showed great progress on the triennial. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it, the proof is kind of in the pudding, right? Yeah. Or proof of the pudding is in the tasting. I always get that quote a little yeah. off. But, yeah. but it was clear it was working and had been working, and the data showed it was working, data that the school district had generated. Um, so that's where... So, Jen, gets... what does a parent do when they don't have the resources to disagree with what the school district is recommending. So um, one of the things that the federal law that governs special education includes is something called a fee-shifting provision, okay? What that means is that if a parent does have to hire an attorney 
to secure an appropriate program for their child. And if they pursue it and they win in a hearing, they are entitled to get those fees paid for by the school district, just as in other areas of civil rights, there are fee shifting provisions. Because Congress did not think that one should have to be wealthy to vindicate their civil rights. So there are attorneys who will take cases on um, and float them, quote unquote, until they hopefully get paid by winning in the hearing. Now, that's one option. OK, there are risk. huge risk. And unfortunately, many states where that there you don't you can't find such attorneys, certainly not as experienced, because unfortunately, it's a very small area of practice. Um, there are also many states legal aids um, that can provide services to families if you meet the threshold and you don't have the means to hire a private attorney, as well as some foundations that exist in some states where they will offset the costs. Many attorneys will have a sliding scale. Much less expensive and risky is, is going the route of an advocate. Um, and so, you know, you, you know so well, Julie, as an advocate, and, and Babs knows as an advocate, that um, for families who can't afford the, the high cost of an attorney, there are affordable advocates that exist who are trained and experienced in this area of the law. They're not lawyers, but they do attend IEP meetings. Some attend mediations. Um, but what's important is that frequently a legal dispute um, it, it involves a parent just not even knowing where to start with what their rights are and a, and a decision made by a team that sometimes doesn't even include the, the special ed director or an administrator with authority. And when a seasoned advocate gets involved, um, sometimes it's, it solves itself because that, that administrator's made aware that the law was not followed and they can resolve it. That doesn't always happen, as you know. Unfortunately, parents do sometimes then have to lawyer up after that. Um, other resources are many private schools, um, including special ed private schools, will offer scholarships and grants and things of that nature to offset the costs. Some services, and this is not, this is a sometimes a bigger hurdle than even the public school battle, um, some services can be covered by insurance. So I, I have some families who will get the behavioral support or the related service of speech or occupational therapy funded through their insurance, and then they, they, they only have to make up the piece of the education. Most insurance companies will tell you if it happens in a school, it's not it's not going to be covered. That They consider that educational, and then parents get stuck in the vortex, right? They get stuck where the school district is telling them a particular service is medical, and the medical community is telling them a particular service is educational, and all the parent knows is my kid needs it, right? And so um, it can be a battle, but you, you might be able to avail yourself of some kind of, of benefits that way as well. And I can think of a couple of others. And, you know, as an advocate, I have many folks who can't afford to work with me. Right. Um, and so we do, you know, every state under the IDEA must have a parent training center um, and an advocacy center. So look up also your parent training center um, because there's folks who work there who can really help you um, as far as they may not come to your IEPT meeting. Some do, some don't. Um, but can at least, you know, shepherd you through some of this. And of course, Jen, there's always the state complaint, which is free, right? If you put a complaint in, but you sort of have to also know what you're doing. But those are iffy too. I mean, you know, you don't want to put in a state complaint that you think you're going to not win. Well, and you could create um, a very bad situation if you don't 
if, which most parents don't know how to do it and know what to right. include, what not to include, and you could really, you could end up forfeiting some important rights because exactly. you didn't do it right. I also note that in many states, there are other state agencies that can help, too. So for some students, they may be eligible for services and supports from a Department of Developmental Services or um, as you get older, you know, some more adult services that are state funded. So, you know, there's there's there are resources out there. They're not always easy to find and they're not and, and some of them are not easy to find by design. But um, you just have to be, this is, I say this to my clients almost every single day, this is not a sprint. This is an endurance test. And you are going to be having to persevere and to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it until your child is done with school. And quite honestly, I mean, I have some folks who um, get the money floated to them by their parents, um, a a brother who might, you know, have the, the means. Um, I have all sorts of people paying for my services. And um, it's where I think, and again, please understand, I know that not everyone is in this position. Um, But if you have to borrow, um, it it, it can really make a difference when you have an advocate or an attorney show up on the scene because it's... And I will say further to the the verdict today of trusting your instincts... So some parents will say to me, usually my, my, the parents I speak with who have students, um, ch- children who have either a learning disability, kind of a classic learning disability like dyslexia or attention deficit, less so um, in some other populations. But you, many parents will say, I don't want to touch the college fund if they're in a position where they have a college fund, right? But so getting at like, you know, what we're talking about here. And I will say to many of these parents, you're not going to get to the point where you need the college fund if you can't get your child through high school or middle school. You know, you're in crisis here. You, this does change outcomes. And I, I've had many families who have said to me, thank God I did it because we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Um, and unfortunately, we've seen some of the, the negative outcomes when families don't intervene quickly enough and didn't trust their instincts and, and believed what they were told. The other thing that pe- that parents should know is that even if your child doesn't require services to the level of an IEP but has a disability, um, your child is, is likely entitled to an, a, what's called a 504 plan. 504, Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act is a separate federal statute. It's separate from the IDEA, and it is a law that says that any any entity that receives federal funds, which all public schools are, um, must require m- must must comply with the requirements of Section 504, and that students cannot be discriminated against because of their disability, and they have to be provided reasonable accommodations due to their disability. There's also an anti-retaliation provision of that of that statute, but that's not really relevant here. But it may be that under Section 504, a parent is entitled to get some support for a private placement. Um, it's not something that school districts like to talk about um, because, generally speaking, a 504 plan is an accommodations plan, not a services plan, but it might be something to pursue as well. Well, as I always say, there's a direct link between a parent's advocacy and the outcome of your child, and obviously that was the case with your wonderful son, Babs, and so we're going to close the file on Babs and the bureaucracy battle. Until we open up our next file, this is Jen Laviano. And Julie Swanson. The Special Ed Files is a production of the Quinnipiac University Podcast Studio. Our executive producer is Dave DeRoche, Quinnipiac University Director of Community Programming. Our producer is Brian Murphy. File closed. <laughs>